Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good. It was a rather non-humdinger, non-thrilling game. Like, for a 7-2 win, it was a very, very tepid affair. Uh, not much going on, and we're going to get at some of the reasons for that in our podcast, our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast about Edmonton's 7-2 win over the Montreal Canadiens, the grade-A shots, preliminary, 13-5 to for the Oilers. So it's not like it's not like the score. Um, well, it's, it flatters the orders a little bit, but it, it reflects the play somewhat. Montreal had very, very little to give in this game, and the orders uh, stomped them on the scoreboard. Bruce, what's your first good thing? Yeah, I had trouble grading this game, David, because it was such an unusual game. It was like they were almost not playing against an NHL uh, opponent, and. Uh, uh, especially in the nets where Montreal wasn't getting many saves. And uh, uh, so it was, uh, the Oilers did what they needed to do and they comfortably won. Uh, my first good thing is uh, balanced scoring. Uh, four lines, uh, tonight's game, the first line scored once, the second line scored twice, the third line scored three times, and the fourth line scored once. Uh, but they did score the late one and they deserved it. They had a strong game that fourth line. <clears throat> Moreover, the uh, six defensemen, uh, every one but one of them had at least one assist in this game. So the Oilers are getting contributions from up and down the lineup. And it was, uh, you know, a a fairly solid, not perfect um, team performance overall. And and, uh, they were clearly the superior team on the ice and uh, and, uh, didn't make any mistake in terms of... uh, pocketing the two points that they had to have from this game. Fair enough. All right, Bruce, uh, my good thing will be, my first good thing will be puck luck. I mean, the first three goals, Mm. you got to get some of that. That's some of that Mm. puck luck. Some of it's good stuff, isn't it? It's really good stuff. And um, I mean, the first one is is a Bouchard kind of puts it at the net. And it mm-hmm. hits Kane and it goes in. Um, mm-hmm. The Oilers don't seem to score a lot of goals like that, if you ask me. I could be wrong, but I just think they score less than other teams. But they got two of them tonight because the second one comes the same way. It's put at mm-hmm. the net and it goes in off Hyman. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third one is even more lucky because essentially uh, it's a very nice play by Warren Fogle. Puts it to Leon Dreisaitl in the slot. And Dreisaitl puts it at the net and it goes off. I think it takes two deflections before it goes in, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, there's a there's a deflection or two there. And it goes in the net. And voila, Bruce, it's 3 nothing, and the game's essentially over. I mean, you can come back from 3 nothing in the NHL, but it's pretty rare. So three goals where the Oilers, where the bounces went their way. And uh, early in the game, got that monkey off their back of not getting the first goal. Oh. And and uh, so that's all, it's all, that's all good. But it was just, it was, again, it was, it was all somewhat anticlimactic, those goals. Like, puck luck is great to have. It's fa- fantastic to have. It was crucial in the last game when, when Bouchard uh, had some luck in getting a goal. Um, and, but this was just uh, bang, 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 bang. Three, go- 
three goals, three good bounces, and you're ahead, and you get a win. Much needed victory. Three goals in a minute and 47 seconds. And the Kane goal, I'm not sure. Did that? Did you think it hit its foot or his stick? Like different angles seem to seem to show show it different ways. Yeah. Uh, And then Hyman tipped home the second goal. And I was trying to remember uh, when was the last time the Oilers scored two goals in the same game on deflections. And the nearest I could narrow it down was that I think it was in AD and not BC, but it's been a long, long, long time since the Oilers Uh were successful on deflections from the low slot to that degree. They give up way more goals on deflections than they score themselves. It's been a weakness on this team for a while. I have a feeling that that may be about to... uh, uh, to change for the better with all these big forwards that the Oilers have got cluttering up the slot all of a sudden. Right now they're getting their healthy bodies back. And, of course, they added Evander Kane, who made his Oilers debut tonight. They really do have some big guys there. Kane is quite a, like, uh, again, like I'm not a, don't really remember. I focus so much on the Oilers when I watch these games. Like Kane's game doesn't stand out to me, even though he's been in the NHL so long. He's a big guy. He's kind of a big hulking guy out there, and Hyman's big, and Fogel's big enough, and Puliyarvi's big. So yeah, there's a lot of big forwards who can get in front of the net. Of course, Leon Drysaddle's big, but he doesn't screen the goalie so much. But um, they have that going on. They have that aspect in their game. What is your second good thing, Bruce? Would you say? I'm going to single out one player that I whose game I really like tonight, and I know you're going to do the same. And my choice is Warren Fogel. I thought he really had it going on tonight. I thought he was the best player on his line uh, with Dreisaitl and Pugliarvi, three big guys. And that line is going to be a load for other teams to try and handle. Uh, I didn't think Pugliarvi was really uh, uh, near his best tonight. He had, he had his moments, but... Uh, uh, and uh, Dreisaitl, uh, you know, I mean scored two goals and he had a decent enough game but I thought Fogel was really the driver on that line he was all over the puck uh he was just in hot pursuit of it uh uh creating uh you know hassles and popping pucks loose and he made some really good passes like he sent Leon in on a clear breakaway in the first period that was stopped uh and he that and he did earn the primary assist on both of uh Drysaddle's goals and he's starting to show up more as a passer. He's made some really nice passes these last couple of weeks, Warren Fogel. And I just thought he, you know, he he brought his game tonight and he was effective. And uh, I gave him an eight for a great game because that's how I saw it. He was. That was one of his better games as, as an oiler. And it's, it's interesting because um, if he can get that job done with, with Dreisaitl and Pugliarvi, you know, if he can get it done as a top nine four with the Oilers, whoever he's with, uh, but especially if he's with either McDavid or uh, Dreisaitl, that opens up Hyman to play with Nugent Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say the second Patrick Evander Kane, excuse me, the second Evander Kane joins the team, he's the third best player, the third best forward. And I, I beg to differ. Like, I, I'll need to be, what I'll say is, I'll need to be convinced of that. Yes, that's fair. Because Zach Hyman, to my eye, is an extremely strong hockey player. He's just a really, really excellent winger, I think, in the NHL. The modern NHL, at any NHL. He can skate, he makes plays, he works hard, he defends, he battles in front of the net, he wins, he pucks, protects. Smart player. 
If Ed Vander Kane is as good as Zach Hyman, that'd be fantastic. But having Fogel play like that enables you to have then Zach Hyman with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and whoever else it turns mm-hmm. out to be Zach Cassie, maybe Dylan Holloway down the road on a third line. And suddenly, you know, that's the best. Is that the best two-way player that the Nuge has ever centered? Um, I think he, he like Taylor Hall was a spectacular player and Jordan Everly mm-hmm. was a very good winger. And he was also with Benoit Pouliot who had his fans and uh, Milan Lucic played with them for some time. And, um, but Hyman is, I think the best two-way winger Nuge has ever played with. And that can make a big difference to Ryan Nugent Hopkins at center. I think that can make him make, make that work. So, um, and I'll just segue from that, Bruce, to say mm-hmm. that, uh, my other good thing was Zach Hyman. I mean, I just, um, he made some fantastic plays. His pass to Nugent Hopkins mm-hmm. um, in the slot. I think it was like a cross-ice pass on that goal. That was just fantastic. And Nuge scored a, a wonderful goal there. Um, what's his other play? We got uh, his final goal where he he's... I like this goal in a lot of ways. Nuge wins the faceoff. He puts it back to Nurse. I really like Nurse's play because he's, he. I think he reads the play and sees that Hyman is going to spin off. And if he just puts it around the boards, he's going to get Hyman moving with the puck below the net. That's the play. It's perfectly executed. Hyman takes the puck and wheels out into the slot and uses the defenseman as a screen to score. So um, excellent play from him. You look a little distracted there, Bruce. What's the... Uh... Oh, I'm just watching my Calgary and Vancouver here. Oh, okay. <laughs> for Calgary to drop some points tonight. Yeah, to get some more help on the out of town scoreboard. Anyway, my bad. I'll I'll stay focused. Oh, that's okay. It's uh, it is. You know, it's it's weird because the Oilers have all these games in hand, which put which kind of mm-hmm. puts pressure on you, right? Even though they now have the second best winning percentage in the Pacific, um, they are they're still points behind, right? They still got to win and. Uh, Four straight wins, though, right? That's yep. Not, yep. Not John, Gibbs, John Gibson stole two more points for Anaheim and Ottawa today. He's been doing that regularly lately. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Hyman on on uh, both the Nuge goal and then his own goal. Uh, what struck me was the extended possession that he had both times. It wasn't like he had the puck and then he passed it off or he shot it. He actually sort of went into the corner with it, fought off a guy or two, came out of the corner still with it, and then made a play. You know, a great bullet pass to Nuge. I thought that was a really big goal because Edmonton was playing quite poorly at that point. Montreal just closed the gap to 3-1. to one. I'm thinking, you know, if Montreal scores again here, and then when Edmonton reopened the three goal lead to four one it was it was you know the hockey didn't get any better for a while but the lead was safe the rest of the way and that was a really terrific play by uh, by hyman i bet she had the puck for the better part of 10 seconds and then his own goal more of the same where he actually you know uh sort of made a couple of plays before he finally came out and buried a shot and uh, his patience with the puck and his ability to to maintain it and then do something with it is impressive. He's a really good player. And and I bet you every center on the Edmonton Oilers is thinking, could I have Zach Hyman as my winger? So we'll see who wins out. We'll see who wins the uh, the struggle. I mean, there's other good wingers. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there are. 
there's other good wingers, and we'll see. You know, Kane looked at this was Kane, Evander Kane's first game, and uh, mm-hmm. he looked really. I thought he looked really rusty. Like uh, he was, he didn't look like he was in sync at all. He looked like he was in preseason form, which is exactly where he's at probably. So it's going to take a while for him to uh, to get rolling. He played five AHL games about a month and a half ago. Yeah. And a whole lot of stuff has gone down since then, including a positive COVID test, which would have taken him off the ice for a while. And then all of these shenanigans have been going on. Who knows how much practice he got? And, you know, was he off skating on his own or against the scrubs on the Vancouver Giants? Or, you know, what was he what was he doing? And he did look rusty tonight. That said, he came out and scored the crucial first goal of the game, which the Oilers have not had for the last 44 days. Since the last time the order scored first, way back on December 16th. And uh, uh, I'm going to take a little tiny bit of credit for that one myself, because I suggested in the game day post to Evander Kane that if he wanted to make a great first impression, he should score the first goal. And then, lo and behold, <laughs> he must have read that because he went out and did it. I don't know, Bruce. I just think, yeah, <laughs> you're shaping the simulation with your uh, with your wants, <laughs> you know, your, yeah, well, yeah, your reality. It bending. seemed like a good idea at the time, and then after to see it actually happen, it kind of made me laugh and uh, and uh, hoot at the same time because it's been a long time since the Oilers led a game one nothing. What is your bad thing? Yeah, I guess I'm going to go with a little bit of sloppy play that began in the last 45 seconds of the first period. When the Oilers were just getting to the finish line with a three-nothing lead, and they had an absolutely dreadful shift where they could not get out of their own end. The one time they came out clean, Evan Bouchard made a brutal pass right to the other team, and they poured back in. And there was all kinds of just chaos in Edmonton's zone. Uh, Petrie had a chance that he just missed the net, and they finally did get a shot with like one second to go in the first period. And the second period that carried over in the first. Um, probably 10 minutes of the second. And they, Montreal did get that goal on the bad rebound by Skinner, but some bad play surrounding it. And then Nuge got it back. So, you know, there was no damage done, but it was like the orders got sloppy because they had the big lead. Not, nothing drives me more nuts watching a game than, than seeing sloppy play when really you just got to button it down and you got, you know, you got it. And that that stretch of about, uh, well, last minute of the first and the first several minutes of the second was uh, was poor hockey by Edmonton. They got away with it, and in the end, uh, no damage done, but it was not pretty to watch. So loser points for the Kings and the Sharks tonight, and the Flames beat uh, the Flames beat. Oh, in overtime. Vancouver won nothing. So the. It's awfully kind of early to be looking at the standings. We're 40 games into it, but that's what happens when you go on a, like a, a 73-game losing streak um, early in the season. Like it, you put yourself in a hole, and now you now we're the, the rest of the year. The Oilers are going to be just grinding into the playoffs, yeah. unless they go on some kind of miraculous run here. But until I don't see that honestly happening, and unless there's some kind of goaltending um, revelation that that occurs with the Oilers, and we. And they get super hot there. My well, bad today's thing, win was just a matter of keeping up then. Yeah. Well but at least they got the win. You know, a loss well, today would have been a disaster. Well, they got they gained a point on both LA and San Jose, who are ahead of them yeah. 
certain points. Um, Bruce, I think part of the reason that was a weird game to watch was there was my bad thing is the lack of atmosphere, the lack of a crowd there. And, you know, Quebec will do what they will do with their regulations. They now have probably the strictest regulations on earth other than communist China. So, um, you know, that's their business. But I'll tell you what, it sure makes for a, a terrible atmosphere for a hockey game. And I think we forget, like, how weird that year was and, you know, without the fans. And we, 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 we were just happy to have hockey, I think, and putting up with it. But, man, it, it takes away from the game. It just, it just seems like... It just seems like dull, boring, no excitement, and uh, that's that. This game had that feel to it. Normally, the Center Bell is uh, is uh, a happening place. It's a pretty exciting place to play. The crowd is so responsive and into the game always in Montreal, and uh, no crowd. I mean, this is the second time this year, the same thing happened in Toronto uh, earlier, but I have to say I noticed it more in Montreal tonight and it did really subtract from the overall spectacle especially on hockey day in canada you know that wasn't that's not how hockey day in canada is supposed to work where they play games that nobody can come to fingers crossed we'll soon be moving into a new phase we'll see what happens all right um your number bruce uh my number is 17 and that is the number of the 18 Oilers skaters who were plus players in this game. Uh, Montreal had one even strength goal and one power play goal. And Edmonton had seven even strength goals. And every player except Ryan McLeod, uh, who wasn't on the ice in the last minute when his regular line mates, uh, Derek Ryan and uh, Devin Shore, combined on a, a quite an excellent goal to uh, finally hit the convert the touchdown for the first time all season for Edmonton that that's the first time all year they reached seven goals with all of their firepower and the funky thing of course is that their 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 shining star of firepower Connor McDavid was held off the score sheet entirely he he, he did get a plus one on that opening goal but uh, uh, it was an odd game that the the whole team, contributed to as opposed to one or two big guys taking it over and finding a way to get it done in the, in the key time. This was a team victory from top to bottom and 17 plus players is uh, something you don't see very often. Yeah. Um, yeah, McDavid, no points. I mean, it's interesting. For years, we've heard this is like two players and nobody else. You just can't right. say that anymore about the Edmonton Oilers. They've got lots of players now, especially up front on the attack. Um, this is the clearest the clearest example, I think, since Milan Lucic signed in Edmonton of McDavid's allure in terms of drawing mm-hmm. players to Edmonton, you know, the Evander Kane thing. Now, you could maybe someone will say uh, the, the Oilers are really the only team in on this. Um, we've heard from Elliot Friedman that the NHL was unhappy. I guess the teams were going after um, at Evander Kane's signature on a contract. I don't know what they would expect, honestly, but they they were apparently unhappy about that. And um, there were rumors of a lot of teams kicking the tires pretty seriously: Tampa Bay, Florida, uh, Washington. And I think Kane signing here is for one reason maybe two, 
you know, McDavid or Drysaddle. He knows if he doesn't play with McDavid, he'll be playing with Drysaddle. So, uh, yeah, even though Connor McDavid wasn't on the score sheet tonight, he's he's having an he's having an ongoing impact with this franchise. Right. And I think Tyson Berry was another one who's come, came here on a value contract. He wouldn't have otherwise come here. But uh, but Kane is definitely in that category. And they they you know if he does turn out, you know that will be a just it will be the it'll be a real benefit. I, I think Hyman too actually. Zach Hyman's another example of someone mm-hmm. who would not have been coming here without Connor McDavid. So yeah, that drawing power is starting to have an impact. Kane is the first one. Uh, well, Barry, you could say was a value contract. Kane, I think, is the first really super value contract to come out of this. And hopefully, Bruce, hopefully there will be many more. Hopefully there'll be a number of, you know, you know, this the Kane situation was very strange. But yes. hopefully there'll be another, there'll be, a few more where they get really not just get good, really good players to come but get them on the cheap um so we'll see about that you see david i thought it was a case of that the oilers could never win a bidding war against any other team but when a guy actually does decide to sign here it's because nobody else wanted him <laughs> yeah is that the right. narrative from the two some sides of, yeah that's the two sides <laughs> of the narrative coin from some directions anyway all of a sudden, the Oilers look like they have a top nine yeah. after ages of having a top six, bottom six with this huge gulf between the two. And tonight they had not one, but two $5 million players on their third line. Which gets to my number, which mm-hmm. is um, $13.8 That's the total contract of the third line. So the first line, as it was constituted tonight, $15.8 million. The uh, second line, 12.5 million, and the third line, 13.8 million. So they've invested a fair chunk of change in those three lines. I don't know how that would compare to other teams like top nine forwards in terms of where that ranks. It's probably pretty high up there because you have McDavid and Drysaddle's big tickets. Um, And then you have Nuge and Hyman are making a a fair amount of money as well. But other than that, really, Cassian's next, isn't he? And then there's a lot of guys making, and Fogel. But. But that's a very expensive third line. But I'll tell yeah, you what, if it, if it plays, if it's like a plus line, each game plus one goal mm-hmm. or something like that along those lines, um, I mean, that would be pretty fantastic yeah. to that. But uh, this, I was trying to think, Bruce, when was the last time the Oilers had three lines as good as this? So I guess it's probably the 2006 playoffs, right? Like there's nothing... 2017, arguably, and you'd have to, you know, you'd, you'd have to argue pretty hard. And, and no, no. you know, I mean, they, they you know. Because the third line had Nuge, Pouliot, and uh, Eberly, right? Eberly. Mm-hmm. And then was the second line uh, Lucic, Dreisaitl, and Slepashev, essentially? Uh, well, it was by the end of the playoffs, yeah. And what, I mean, it was, was with McDavid, um, Maroon? Uh, yeah, he was playing with Maroon and... The heck was the other winger? It was Kajula, was it? So, yeah. So there's some kind of yeah. firing blanks at a few of those positions. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Nuge had the two most expensive wingers on yeah. his line, as it turned out. If you just base it on salary, you know, of the wingers, it would be uh, if you accept the centers three as being centers, uh, Hyman would be the top one, then Cassian, uh, then Fogel, uh, then Kane. Then pull the RV and Yamamoto, uh, right. but yeah, 
you got a couple of, you know, ELC, value ELCs up there, and those guys are playing pretty good for the most part. Uh, Yamamoto's been good lately, and he's not got much credit for it, but he's uh, he's he's really brought up his his what had previously weak totals. He had something. He had eight points in nine games at at one stage, and and I uh, uh, got another assist tonight, you know, and and he's been uh, productive for. For his salary, and, I like I like yeah. Yamamoto. Yeah, I'm a mm-hmm. fan of the player. Which yeah, I, I think, think this is pretty balanced lines we saw tonight. Yeah, I really do. I like Yamamoto with McDavid. I think that's a good idea. We'll see how Kane fits in. This is, I think, the best group of Oilers forwards. I, I put them ahead of the 2006 group. The, the strength of the 2006 group was Pronger and Rolfson, Dwayne Rolfson and Net. So um, they had good forward lines good two-way checking lines but this is we haven't seen forwards like this since 1990 on the Edmonton Oilers like a, a group of forwards uh in the top three lines so this is a pretty special group of players right now especially if if especially <laughs> if Kane gets you know we'll see Kane's got to get rolling right yeah. he's, he's yet yeah. to it's going to well, take a little yeah. time and then you hope there's no injuries and all that other stuff but pretty yeah. darn good and you hope the NHL looks the other way at that little elbow you threw at Nick Suzuki tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I, anyway. All right, so they play next against who, Monday night? What's the Monday yeah, night? Yeah, uh, Ottawa. Ottawa, okay. Ottawa, we threw the kitchen sink at Anaheim today. I shot them about 40 to 20 and lost 2 to 1 because I couldn't get one by. <sighs> Other than the great goal by Tyler Ennis. This is this is a goal worthy of watching on the highlight from the long pass up to the fantastic sequence of plays Ennis made to beat John Gibson, which was a very difficult task today. He was the only guy who was able to do it. But we'll see. Uh, Ottawa's... Uh, you know, while they showed us here a couple of weeks ago, they're not they're not to be taken lightly. But uh, they'll give Edmonton a lot tougher game than Montreal did for, at minimum. I think Yamamoto led the team in time on ice tonight. Just one aside, he did led the forwards, I should say, not the team, yep. but he led the forwards. So that's probably a first for the year. Yeah, they didn't uh, they, they didn't overplay McDavid and Drysaddle. Yeah, twelve between twelve and eighteen mm-hmm. minutes, all twelve forwards got. And between 14 and 20 shifts, it was very, very evened out. And of course, the score had a lot to do with that. But the fact that all four lines were effective had to do with that as well. Alrighty. Well, let's leave it there, Bruce. Your game grades are already posted. So yep. for once, you're not up until like 3 a.m. These 5 o'clock starts on Saturday are a rare blessing. There you go. So now I can go eat supper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy your meal. Meal. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>